looking for security and privacy guidelines? The National Institute of Standards and Technology has your back. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Ronald S. Ross, computer scientist and fellow at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Welcome back, Ron. It's great to be back with you, Tanya. Remind us uh, what it is that you do at NIST. I'm a computer scientist and fellow at NIST and my primary responsibilities uh, to develop cybersecurity standards and guidelines uh, for the federal government and a lot of our work is used on a voluntary basis by the private sector as well. NIST through the Computer Security Resource Center just released a draft security control document called SP 853 Bravo. What's the purpose of this guidance and who is the target audience? Well, the 853 Bravo is actually a companion publication with, with, with our main security and privacy control catalog, which also has a similar number. It's 800-53. And in that primary control catalog, that is literally thousands of security and privacy controls that our customers, and I, when I say customers, I mean federal agencies, state and local governments, uh, private sector organizations, anybody that runs and operates computer systems can go to that catalog and they can select security and privacy controls that they can implement to help protect those systems, to ensure they have good security and they protect individual privacy. Now the companion document that you mentioned, 853 Bravo, that is a selection of a, a subset of the controls of those thousands of controls. NIST has selected a subset of those controls and put them into four different baselines. And the, the three of the baselines are cybersecurity baselines and they really align to what we call low, moderate or high impact systems where impact is the impact uh, of your system if you lose your capability or that system gets compromised in some way. So a low impact system is one that's not all that important, one that you can recover from fairly easily. Whereas a high impact system might be the air traffic control system for the Federal Aviation Administration, or it could be something very critical in the private sector, a really high value asset. And so we've grouped our controls into these three baselines. We call it the triage, the low, moderate, and high. And it basically says that you pick the, the right set of controls for the the, the criticality or sensitivity of your system. And that's kind of the methodology that we used uh, in, in that 53 Bravo document. This document has its origins all the way back as far as 2017. So what did we learn back then that, that drove us to the development of this latest work? Well, actually the 853 document uh, in 2017, that's when we did our, our fifth revision to the original document. The original publication started back in 2005. So it's been around uh, you know, a good 15 years now. And of course, over the years, we've, we've been updating this document every couple of years as we see new threats emerge. The cyberspace is very dynamic. You have lots of valuable targets in the United States, whether it's in the federal government or the private sector. And the threat landscape, the threat space, uh, the adversaries continue to get better and better all the time. And so it's really our job to try, as we see new types of cyber attacks, or we see uh, attacks that have been launched against the United States government or our private sector companies, we follow all of those things. And then we try to develop the necessary defensive controls that people could implement to protect their systems so they won't have to go through those kind of breaches and attacks over and over. 
And so since 2017, it's taken us about three years to go through this entire catalog and make sure that it goes through several public updates. We, we always share our initial graphs with our customers in advance so they can make comments and they can see how it actually would work in real environments, which is our, our goal. We don't want to have shelfware. We want things that actually work in real systems. So that's why it's taken quite a bit of time. And, and I think we've got a catalog of controls and these baselines that are just world-class. And I think they're going to really help our customers do a better job at protecting their high value assets and, and critical resources. So speaking of that, what's an example of how the threat and privacy landscape evolved from, from 2017? And how was that evolution accounted for in 53 Bravo? Well, the threat landscape uh, continues to said to, to get uh, the, the adversaries get better and better. They have the, some of the best and the brightest and, and they're well-resourced. And of course, I think, the challenge on our side, and since 2017, actually even going back before that, our technology lifecycle is very short within this country. We are, we literally see new technologies rolling out very, very quickly. Everything from cloud to mobile. And it's, it's a challenge to make sure that with all that new technology as it evolves and comes into the, the, uh, the marketplace, that we have to be able to keep up with our safeguards and our protection mechanisms so our customers can actually take those controls and implement them with the new technology. So innovation has to keep on going. That's how we roll. You know, we've, we're all, we're innovators and that new technology uh, gives us the great military. It allows us to protect the country. It, it fuels the economy. And so it's really important that as cybersecurity professionals, we work with industry to understand how this technology works and how we can apply all of our current safeguards and countermeasures in, in I call those controls in the 853 Bravo uh, catalog, uh, the baselines. How do we apply those to the real technology in real operations? And I think that's, that, that's what's changed uh, not just since 2017, but going back last couple of decades. We, we have so much new technology and it's going so quickly forward that it really is is an effort to keep up with it. But I think we are, we are keeping up with it. And I think our customers, if they implement these controls in accordance with their own you know, protection, their risk management strategies and their risk tolerance, they can do a very effective job to making sure that whatever mission or business operations they're carrying out, they can do those effectively and really serve their customers well. What are some maybe I don't know, surprises uh, that came out of this uh, most recent, even, even the last year, you say it took about three years to really uh, put this together. What were some surprises for you? Well, one of the biggest things that we committed to is privacy uh, was always important, but it's become even more important over the past couple of years. And we decided to take our privacy controls. They used to be part of an appendix in the back of the 853 document. We decided to take those and move them into the main catalog of security controls. And one of our surprises was that um, the privacy controls do have their own family, but many of the privacy controls actually disappeared into our security controls into something we call a joint control. And just as a quick example, we have a security control that used to be called security awareness and training. Organizations have to make sure their people understand how to protect systems. They go through literacy training to make sure they understand phishing attacks and all that. Well, privacy has this, a similar type of uh, requirement. They have to make sure that people understand what it means to have a good privacy program and what are our responsibilities to protect personally identifiable information. Well, that one security control, in fact, I remember the number, it's, it was AT2, 
we changed the name from security awareness uh, and training now to just awareness and training. And that one control serves both the privacy community and the security community. So as we integrated privacy into the main security publication, we found there were a lot of efficiencies we could realize, which is good news for our customers. Fewer controls and they get better control and it actually makes the two uh, disciplines work better together because we're all talking about the same system. You've got security teams and privacy teams. They're all trying to, to do their thing to make sure that system uh, is, is well protected either from the security or privacy perspective. So that was a really a pleasant surprise and, and really it, it turned out very, very well. Is it possible that our technology evolved so quickly that nothing has a chance to mature and maybe get fully debugged? Yes, that's always a possibility. But I, I think that we are always going to err on the side of innovation and technological advances. That's just what we do. I, we, we become so accustomed to that. And I think the, the challenge, as I said before, is for us to be able to apply the concepts uh, in accordance with the new technology. Now that sometimes can be a challenge, but the good news is that our core uh, cybersecurity principles and concepts have not changed in 40 years. We still have access control. We still have identification authentication. We still have all the encryption. All those fundamentals have really not changed. And so, you know, we apply those fundamental concepts and principles as the technology rolls off the line. Now, sometimes, we get surprises like the smartphone. We have a two-factor authentication requirement. You, know, you have the, 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 the PIV cards, the, the smart cards. And when you have smartphones, you, there's no card reader for that in that phone. So NIST had to go back and, and design something called derived credentials. So the, the credential, which normally would be on that smart card, now is embedded in the software on the phone. Now, is that as strong a solution as having the separate token outside the phone? Probably not, but it was good enough. It was a risk-based decision, and that's what it really ends up being about. We're always gonna be making risk-based decisions, looking at the new technology and the protections that we think are necessary, and sometimes, oftentimes, there'll be compromises, but they're done, from what I like to say, with your eyes wide open. As long as you understand what the threats are, and the vulnerabilities that you have in your system, then you can understand what the potential adverse impacts might be. And if that's a good trade-off, then people are gonna, are gonna go ahead and implement that solution. We, we always are, we're a risk-based society. We get into airplanes all the time. We get on the Beltway in Washington, D.C. In, in, in cars. And, and these things can be very dangerous at times, but we do that because we know the underlying aircraft that we get into the underlying automobile has a lot of terrific safety mechanisms built in, and we trust the technology. Sometimes it fails us, but not that often. And I think that's gonna be the story of cybersecurity and privacy as we move forward in the 21st century. Where can we go to find this and maybe other related NIST security documents, Ron? Our website has the greatest collection of uh, security guidelines. It's at csrc.com. NIST.gov, that's csrc.nist.gov. And that's our homepage and it's all organized by categories of publications. We have standards, guidelines, white papers, all of it's free of charge, not quite free. As taxpayers, you've paid a, a lot of money for those. So, but they are yours now that they're on the website. You can also go on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm out there. And my, my email is out there as well, my email address and my, even my cell phone. So you can get a hold of me any way you want. 
We're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We love working with our customers. Uh, we love uh, these podcasts, the interviews, because it helps us get our, our message out. And we're just grateful that we can be serving the American people. Dr. Ronald S. Ross, computer scientist and fellow at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. What if somebody wants to connect with you personally, Ron? Where can they find you? Well, they can find me uh, on, on Twitter. It's Ron Ross Secure. And uh, again, my email address is uh, the same thing. It's ronrosssecure at gmail.com. Or if you want to go to my NIST uh, official address, it's ron.ross at nist.gov. And again, looking forward to hearing from all of you out there. Thanks again, Ron. And thank you, Tanya. Find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.